You're listening to Creative Voices. This podcast is sponsored by and recorded on location at Tree Bark Store in White Cullen, County Galway. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Voices. Today we're joined by Kelly and Patrick from The Proper Chocolate Company. And I'm going to let the guys introduce themselves and tell us a little about what they do. Go on, Patrick. Uh, so, hi, my name is Patrick, and with Kelly here, we're the founders of uh, Proper Chocolate Company. So what we do is we make chocolate from bean to bar. And what it means is basically we source cocoa beans from various places around the world, and we turn them into chocolate. That's the that's what it is in a nutshell. And I'm Kelly, and Patrick explained it pretty well there. That's what we do. We make chocolate. Okay, and how long have you guys been doing this? Just coming up to three years as a business, as a passion, uh, we've been making chocolate. I'd say, I'd say I've been making chocolate because I was the chocolate maker before we made it a business uh, for about uh, now like seven years, I'd say. Six, seven years, something mm, like that. Six, seven, yeah. Okay, and what made you, you said it's been a passion, what brought you as an interest to it in the first place? It's really interesting because I think it's curiosity and also um, it started out mainly because Kelly was always the chocoholic. And so it's your it was fault. Great, well, basically, but I was never all that curious about chocolate until, uh, so we were living in San Francisco and one of our friends one day brought us a bag of roasted cocoa beans. You don't get to see cocoa beans or... You see cocoa nibs sometimes in health stores, but cocoa beans, it's That's a bit common. more rare. So, you know, you can eat them, nibble on them. And I just got curious. Kelly went out for a few days to see her family in, in Chicago. And I was left with these beans and nibs. And I just got curious what kind of magical transformation it took to go from the bean to actual chocolate because the texture is quite different the taste is quite different and there's I wouldn't say they're polar opposite but there's something reminiscent of chocolate in the beans but you can tell that there's quite a bit of work in between so that's how I started I just started with like some very basic tools like a, a spice binder a bit of coarse sugar I made a first version of chocolate that was interesting I'd say and that it wasn't really quite as smooth as chocolate, but it was. There were some flavors that I liked that I couldn't really find in like the you know chocolate you buy in the store. What was available around you? Yeah. yeah. So it was like, oh, how come? You know. And from that point, uh, so basically, Kelly was always the the approver of the quality of the chocolate, and you she were does have the, her own uh, quality recipe. control department. I right? still am. She does have like her own. Um, <laughs> kind of reaction to chocolate that tells us whether the chocolate is ready or not. It's quite, quite interesting. It's actually true. So when we're developing a new recipe, I will, well, I'll try some. If I sneeze twice, it's a go. And it's absolutely serious. That's the most interesting uh, it, it is a taste control ever. It, it, there is, don't get me started on science, but there is some science behind it. Basically, as the flavors develop, you know, you, you will be more or less receptive to the, to the flavor, but... It has proven to be true generally, you know, so I have to, to like it also. But Kelly's mm-hmm. palette, when it comes to the dark or very dark chocolate, is quite elaborate. So, when Do you have similar uh, preferences in chocolate, do you think? or I think we started out sort of in different spheres. And as the... As our products have grown and as our as our expertise has grown and our understanding and, and I think it's actually, um, they've come together in terms of, because Patrick wasn't really a dark chocolate lover in sort of a traditional way, I don't think. You were more kind of milk and when we were living in Paris, he would, he would get big chunks of like, you know, like big, huge tablets. I think they were like 150 gram tablets, just milk chocolate tons of sugar and additives and, and God only knows what else. And he would just devour one of those, I'd say, a day. Um, you were still quite a chocolate eater, they, but they it were, wasn't dark. They chocolate. were your typical sugary snack that, you mm. know, like that you, you really want after a bit of exercise, a long day. But, yeah, no, nothing quite like what you like, which was generally anything above 85% dark. Mm. I think I got to appreciate those percentages through you, because you would bring those chocolates and little by little, you know, I got mm. used to 70, 75. Mm. And then I, I, I discovered that, you know, the bitterness or the acidity or the astringency of a chocolate is not intrinsic to chocolate. It is, uh, there's a lot of variables. For instance, 
where you source the cocoa beans from that affects the, you know the variety affects the, its bitterness mm. how you roast it very similarly to coffee I was just about to say it sounds like a very similar process yeah. the coffee, if you roast coffee, cocoa, yeah. coffee, cocoa beans very high you're going to develop very bitter like carbon flavors mm. and then there's a whole lot of things that happens also after the, the roast that uh, what I found curious is that as much as I was getting into chocolate making initially I realized that there's very little common knowledge about chocolate making mm. uh, Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, given the perceptions that people have about specialty coffee, and sometimes I have to find myself educating them in that regard, mm-hmm. it must be a similar process for you at the moment, bringing your product to a place where people are, in their head, have a notion of what they think chocolate is. Mm. Yeah, the comparison with uh, specialty coffee is actually very good because often we source cocoa beans from the same regions, so we use a similar uh, similar words and similar descriptions and there's part of the process at least uh, roasting that you know resembles uh, coffee roasting but at the same time specialty coffee is quite a bit ahead in terms of specialty chocolate specialty chocolate it's been around for a while but it's always been a niche market until recently when tools that allow you to make small batches of uh, a bean to bar chocolate have been made available and we're talking about 15, 20 years. Mm. That actually started in the U.S., which explains why we found uh, those roasted cocoa beans in San Francisco. Um, Because it's still very new to Ireland, I would imagine. It is very new, so it made its way to the U.K. and France. So the U.K. is maybe four or five years behind the U.S. Uh, we're maybe three, four years behind the U.K. in terms of how people are familiar with bean-to-bar chocolate. And so when we see specialty coffee... And how it's been received and the interest people have in, you know, the origins, the flavors, you know, we definitely see some similarities, but we are behind. We're probably three, four years behind. And do you find then that that's a good match for you to be in environments where people are already being served specialty coffee? I suppose open up the door a bit more to your own product? Uh, big time. It's, it's uh, like I say, you know, the origins kind of ring a bell. The fact that people understand it's roasted here and, and something that... Uh, I suppose like provenance is very important now in, in, in Ireland, I feel like. It's also, I see two things. I see customers becoming more and more interested in where the product comes from, where the ingredient comes from, how it's made and who makes it. And at the same time, you have uh, like a, a lack of common knowledge, like I said. So it's, it's, uh, it's not even like we demystify anything, but... When I tell people, for instance, that cocoa beans are fermented and dried, people are like, really? Then that the roasting is made by us, but it's only one out of seven or eight steps yeah. in the process. And that there's only six bean-to-bar chocolate makers in Ireland, and they're all very small. Yeah. It's a lot of kind of surprises. Yeah, ones. a lot uh, of, yeah. But so, like, we're constantly fighting between the need, like... <laughs> To inform and actually to refrain from actually <laughs> over-informing yeah. because yeah, there's yeah. loads and loads and loads of information to pass on. But I guess it's a classic scenario where like you're trying to balance out people's desire to learn something mm-hmm. about it without seeming that like you're overwhelming them with knowledge as well. That's totally. it. That's totally. it. Because at the end of the day, it's chocolate and it's something you want to enjoy, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be too cerebral about it either. Yeah. You know? the, the taste is what is is the first. Uh, yeah and most important uh, mm-hmm. aspect. Funnily enough, I found myself in the last while um, using wine as a good analogy for people when I'm explaining coffee to them because I suppose they've developed a familiarity with that yeah. and they can understand the concept that they're supposed to get different kind of profiles and tastes from that. So sometimes when we have a different bean or we're serving something on filter that's different from our espresso, it's a good way to lead into it, especially if people kind of tend to know their own preferences, I find, mm-hmm. whether they prefer fruity coffee or darker coffee based on the familiarity with wine right no that's that's a really that's another parallel that we draw is the chocolate and wine parallel so for example on our larger tablets we um we do include the harvest year on our beans and it really does make a difference you know harvest year in fact we were working with or we still work with and we love this particular bean from tanzania by uh, kuku kamili they We've worked with uh, 2016 and 2017 harvest years, and now we just got in, we just started working with 2018, and out of the blue, we've suddenly got these these notes of peanuts that we've never had before. And, okay. you know, so it's it's the same same producers. When you're um, working with a specialty uh, cocoa, generally, because the, the plantations, 
the estates are fairly small, they are more affected by climate than, say, like a countrywide blend of, uh, of uh, cocoa beans, which can remain relatively constant. And for instance, if you take uh, a particularly rainy season in Tanzania, well, it's going to affect how the beans ferment and dry. It's going to take a longer drying period, so the fermentation may be slightly extended, which can develop other flavors. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, if it's really dry, then it's a shorter fermentation, which tends to yield more acidic flavors. Not necessarily a bad thing, yeah. uh, just a different way for us of uh, working with it. Mm-hmm. So the climate is big. And we also have to remember that cocoa trees are, are pollinated by uh, midges, or a natural small type of mosquitoes, and they will pollinate whatever flower they find. Cocoa trees have a tendency to harbor a lot of genetic material. So the way the cross-pollination works can also affect the flavor of the, the cocoa bean year on year. And those are very difficult to predict. But while some may see it as a challenge to maintain, say, the consistency of a product, we prefer to embrace it and say, you know, there's no guarantee that next year the chocolate might taste different. There's actually no guarantee that we may even carry it if we don't mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go and year on year reassess and maybe next year it'll be 70%, maybe it'll be 73%, maybe it'll be something else. Well, I think that's quite interesting because there's more of an honesty to it. And I think mm-hmm. people have a desire for more honesty to their, their foods and drinks now mm-hmm. because where one site consistency which seems like a positive word would have been championed consistency to me seems in some ways complacency because mm. you're staying within those defined parameters for fear that people might experience something different than what they're used to yeah obviously yeah. it has its limits because uh, you know if you have a product that, that works you know your, your clients retailers are going to want to buy it again and again and if you keep renewing your varieties not everybody's uh up for it so it's it probably does limit in some ways how many or some of the retailers we, maybe we the types get. of retailers the types of retailers but that's you know this is for me I guess it just makes sense the way I look at that is that like for those retailers you probably don't want to be involved anyways because they're just looking to retail a product not necessarily your product right yeah you know it's just an item a line item for them to sell Mm -hmm. as opposed to an actual interest a row of other chocolates without any particular differences or the ability to explain that but you know year on year um, say a a particular cheese can change flavor a wine will certainly change flavor it it is the same thing for chocolate Mm. we we just used to a type of commodity uh, product that is constant over time but it is constant, not by nature. It's constant yeah. by design. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very good point. Mm-hmm. And at what stage, with all your experimenting, did you think, uh, hold on a second, this is, could be something I'd actually do? Good enough. Well, we in San Francisco, and we were still back back then. We, um, Jesus, was, this was a long time ago. I just think of how far we've come. We did our very first chocolate party with our friends, and that was when we sort of. Patrick was basically he'd come home from his day job which was IT program management project management and go straight into the kitchen and start making chocolate and it was just like it just it was clear the passion was there yeah and and it's you know or he was either making chocolate or researching you know or, or participating in forums or you know reading books and articles like I mean it was literally just you know just it was becoming a bit obsessive there's nothing really in half measures with Patrick. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm starting to feel that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was back in San Francisco. Um, we had our first party uh, where we had, we just wanted to get feedback and see kind of where we were at, you know, because there's only so much chocolate feedback I could give, you know, without knowing, kind of opening it up. Well, you're a sample size of one, I suppose, to be fair. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah. yeah, it's a little, little biased, maybe. Um, not scientifically significant anyway. And so we had our first party and that was, that just went swimmingly. But obviously there was still a long road to hoe. We moved back to Ireland and oh geez what was it maybe what was that? I don't remember when, what year that was 2014 2014 we basically got to a point where Patrick got to a point with the chocolate that our friends said look this is too good now like the world needs your to experience this yeah, we were getting yeah. a lot of orders from friends of friends for like you know birthdays or things like that so or just bars things like that we, we were actually already making chocolate and people wanted to buy it. So it was a natural transition to launch a business. Mind you, it's, it's a different story, you know, being a, a food producer full time with 
you know, all the constraints and all the the work that goes around just simply producing food but mm. that was that was the idea like we, we knew we had a product that was that was uh, good that we had the technique to make it and package it so but did you start in a local market first or what was your uh well let's see so we well we started making the chocolate in may the commercial chocolate we started making that in may 2014 uh, 16. 16, sorry, 16. We sold our first bar in July. July it does take some first. time to go from bin to bar. Like, I won't give you a list of all the steps, but there's a bit of aging you know, from the bean to the roast to separating the shells. There's a little bit of time, but I'd say the first uh, few weeks was ordering the beans and trying to get started with... Uh, Figuring out which way was up. Pretty much, <laughs> We actually we started in a shared kitchen space in in Bray, and I guess that's Wicklow, isn't it? And it was funny because we don't have a kitchen background like culinary. Mm. I mean, Patrick has always been really adventurous as a cook, as a home cook, yeah. and he was always very passionate about that. But in terms of kind of being in a commercial kitchen, like that just wasn't our bag. And as someone who spent time doing it, it's okay. Keep away from it for as long as you can. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it was actually kind of it was actually kind of wonderful because we we found ourselves in this shared kitchen space called New Market Kitchen, when we were rubbing shoulders with people who, you know, obviously this was their this was their life and they, gig, they knew yeah. exactly what they were doing. So it was kind of a lot of osmosis happening. You know, some of them were like you know six months into their business. Two mm. years into their business, so you know it was very nice to be able to uh, take some advice from people who had some fresh experience, names and recommendations, yeah. things to do, things not to do. Uh, you know, a lot of really useful advice we got to uh, to get started. That allows us to just concentrate on like making uh, making the chocolate, essentially, and also the you know, the shared kitchen to. To get started is quite quite nice because you, you don't really have to worry about you know maintenance and things like that. But that's taken care of for you. Yeah. So you're really concentrating on focus on the business, making your product. I suppose it's a good starting point where you can yeah. just focus on getting the product would, right and exactly. not have to worry. Anybody who's getting started into food, I would recommend to try to find uh, a shared kitchen space, just because it's likely going to be cheaper. You mm. probably don't need a whole lot of space, mm. and you're going to pick on uh, experience from other people. I think that was. Uh, was quite nice. Mm-hmm. People were still friends today. Uh, like a lot of the food producers we met there, we still like uh, see them on a regular basis. So and that's actually, but that's a phenomenon that we. So yeah, we so we started trading in July of 2016, and like I, I will never forget the first customer. He still is. He still comes out pretty much every week and buys a bar or two. And you know, he's just like your first love, you know. But, but it's not. I mean, sorry, was actually Eric. <laughs> Eric Nolan who was the. It was a pastry chef who uh, had a stall at the market mm-hmm. next to ours and tasted our chocolate. He's now a pastry chef in Galway. At the that's right. But hotel he's not our Eric. first customer. Oh, okay. But that's not our first customer. Is it not? No, it's the no. bricklayer. Um, oh yeah, yeah, the bricklayer. Anyway, it's not his real name, but obviously. <laughs> so yeah, first. Oh, so when we first started, we weren't really sure how how far we could take the Irish palate in terms of dark chocolate. Mm. You know, like Price what. Also. Price was a big concern. Um, so we came out with these 30-gram bars. So we wanted it to be accessible. So we had these little mini 30-gram bars. And what we found was actually the Irish palate is well ready for dark chocolate. It's very much ready, much readier than I thought they'd be. And actually willing to pay, you know, obviously not everyone, but there is definitely a willingness there to pay for quality chocolate. It was, it was a bit of a relief, I have to say, because we really believe in... You know, putting forward the taste of the cocoa bean, you know, like, and not really uh, introducing other types of ingredients, you know, and even our the sugar that we use is it's an unrefined sugar, but it's fairly neutral in taste. The goal is to push forward the taste of the cocoa bean, mm-hmm. and obviously you want the percentage as high as possible to promote that. So there was a bit of a concern to see, you know, are people going to be okay with seventy five percent? Because for me, maybe. Ten years before, that would be like, wow, that's too, too dark. Mm. And it's our, you know, like, 
okay, people are more used to dairy milk, you know, like uh, mm. as, as a basic. Well, I suppose as with anything, it's what we were exposed to. So yeah. that's where our concept of chocolate probably came from. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. as I find with coffee as well, it's people are used to a darker, more Italian style roast, and that's takes a while for them to go. Actually, coffee can taste different it's, and still be good. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think it's quite interesting because you know I've been I grew up in France. I live with the idea that. The best coffee was Italian, then maybe French. And I look back and I'm like, God, you know, like coffee can taste so much better. Yeah. And I'm not saying all coffee in France or Italy is bad, but the basic coffee you get is tends to be over roasted. But it was better than most places at the time. Yeah. Now I think Ireland is quite a bit ahead. Well, I think Ireland has developed quite a good relationship with food and drink in the last mm. few years. Absolutely. That's also the thing that's great is that. I see Ireland right now as it's like a, a center of creativity and like almost like a blank canvas for uh, somebody who's in food production. If we were doing what we're doing in France, people would expect the chocolate to be done in a certain way, you know, with certain flavors or texture. But here, you know, if you stand by your product, you make an honest product, and you have an intention to, you know, for us that is to develop the flavor of the cocoa bean. You can do whatever you want. If it's yeah. right, you can do whatever you want. I think in France, it would possibly be more complicated. Mm. Do you think is that a legacy of France having a strong relationship with food and history and heritage of it, as opposed to us being pretty relatively new to that here in Ireland? Possibly also a history of chocolate making. Maybe not as, as big as Belgium or Switzerland, but there are standards that maybe people expect, the flavor people expect. In Ireland, you know, you wouldn't necessarily call Ireland a, a country of chocolate making. You know, it's... Even though historically that that actually might not be uh, totally uh, true, yeah. Ireland does have some uh, famous people that were not so famous, I suppose, but that were involved in the very early stages of uh, chocolate making yeah. that are not famous enough for. Uh, but anyway, it's not a country famous for chocolate making. So, yeah. you know, if you have a good product, if you're um, if you're trying to make something that tastes good yeah. and that's made you know ethically. Right now, people will follow you. Yeah. And you've obviously scaled up your uh, operations since those early days somewhat as well? Yeah. Yeah, we've got, well, we've got our own kitchen now. Um, so that was, I guess that was two and a half years ago we, we took that up about. I think, yeah, two and a half, we moved to uh, Glasnevin. And when was it when we took over the, the entire space? That's just about two years ago. Oh, yeah, it was about two years two ago. Two years ago, we... So we, we used to share our kitchen with a pastry chef, the one who's the mm. head pastry chef at uh, Hotel Merrick now. And he, he moved uh, to Goley a couple of years ago. So we, our, our production facility is, is, I like to call it a workshop because it, people say it's the chocolate factory. I'm like, this isn't what you think. You know, there's not like pipes of chocolate going over the place. Most of the space is used for cocoa beans. Yeah. And, uh, do you think, given we were chatting before we started recording, but when you do your workshops and people's concept of how chocolate is made, they're somewhat surprised when you bring them in and show yes. them. Yes. A lot of people assume, yeah, like there's going to be chocolate flowing and that their first impression of the, the smell of the place will be uh, a chocolatey smell. Yeah. But as you enter our premises, you enter through the cocoa bean area, you get the cocoa bean smell, which is, you know, a little bit of vinegary that is the fermentation of the cocoa bean that, that does that and then you move on if we're roasting then you'll get other very pleasant smells and if we're pouring or grinding chocolate you'll get even different smells so I think that sense, from a sensory point of view you're, you're, you're going to be surprised and then you'll see what cocoa beans are like that they takes quite a few steps to actually get to chocolate that generally triggers quite a few surprises there's also a couple of machines that we use that are a bit unusual, so they're, they're kind of nice, you know, like chocolate mills, they, they run as this flowing chocolate, so it's quite mesmerizing yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, de-shelling the, the cocoa beans also, it can be quite uh, quite interesting. So the first step after we, we receive the, the cocoa beans, we hand sort the beans. So literally we hand select every bean that goes into our chocolate. And Patrick's very much a numbers guy. He's, I don't know if you noticed that. Um, <laughs> Picked up on it, just yeah. a touch. <laughs> right. So he, he likes to just throw out random numbers that he's calculating in his Excel brain. How many beans do you remember? And I have no retention for numbers. Oh, I am like, I am I, numbers literate. So um, 
we've sorted probably about two and a half million cocoa beans with oh, hands. Okay. Um, they all have to be they all have to be uh, checked. There are some differences with, say, for instance, if you uh, roast coffee, you're gonna pass your coffee beans through a destoner. For cocoa beans, there there's far more than stones in, in the bag, so the stuff that gets eliminated also because it ends up in food. You have to be more careful. Yeah. It's not just about breaking the machine, it's also about what ends up in, in the chocolate. Mm. So uh, you have to do careful sorting. And that for us, that's an essential part of uh, quality control. At an industrial level, it's generally done with uh, optical sorting, also um, gravity sorting. But it's never nearly as efficient as hand sorting. You're going to end up with things that look like cocoa bean. But there are not cocoa beans, like little branches, or cocoa beans that have been bug damaged or are moldy or rotten. There's only one way to control that, it's to roast it very yeah. high. Okay. If you sort carefully, you can do gentle roast and develop flavors without reaching those uh, fairly carbon bitter flavors. So that's very important for us. That's part of uh, quality development. It occurs to me that given the aspect of how hard you're working on that there and the way you said earlier on that you really want to respect the bean and get the flavor of that profile of the bean front forward, definitely the proper chocolate company seems like a very adequate name for... Oh, thank you. you know. <laughs> well, it kind of it tells a story in a way, but it also seems to be not just an indication of what the product is, but also the process and how you get mm. it there. It, it's, it's quite interesting when we picked that name... We know we, we were like, well, so people are probably going to ask, so what makes it proper? And when they ask that question, you know, like, my eyes light up. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And you're like, we've lost him for 10 well, minutes. That's it, there he goes. <laughs> because we, we can go through everything that the reason why we, we believe we make it in, uh, in the proper way. And sorting is just one reasonably small step in the process. <laughs> and... One aspect, I suppose, that I always ask the guests about, and I find particularly interesting, is given how you got very passionate about what you did, was this completely self-educated? It seems like it would be. You seem like a man who could put himself to something and learn it. you got to be honest and say, like, we're not the first to do this kind of endeavor, even if it's at, at our small scale. So resources have existed for, you know, to you can find that on the internet. There's machines and things that do exist and you can find them. There's quite a significant amount of DIY that's involved in setting up a bean-to-bar workshop from sourcing grinders, sourcing cocoa beans. In short, basically, there's no formal training or education, but you can find resources either online through books. There's lots of really nice books where uh, you'll pick up some aspects of it, like roasting or the science of it. Even some historical literature, which is quite interesting because a lot of what we're doing today is, is still based on the origin of the chocolate. But you, you, have, to be, uh, you have to be self-sufficient and, and find solutions to common problems, like, for instance, shell separation. We built a machine. Or the grinding, we source machines that are then highly customized. Like you're talking about tearing it apart and just replacing belts and capacitors and things like that to make it do the job you want to do. Make them exactly. So yeah, that's you have to be prepared to do that to uh, to launch at a small scale. There are machines or setup that exists that can help you do uh, most of the process. But if you jump from zero to you know turnkey solution for bean to bar process you've missed out on oh, all yeah, the subtle bits mm. how to make it step by step and for us that's been quite important you, know, you have to learn how to sort cocoa beans you have to learn how to uh, roast mm-hmm. uh, it is there are similarities with coffee roasting but you're also talking about much lower temperatures and the flavor development also is quite different mind you you do have a, a great advantage is that you can taste the cocoa beans throughout the roast and then there's other things like tampering, things like that. So you have to, you have to learn that by hand. Then you can scale it. Mm. Mm. No, that actually just you just reminded me of yeah, like the very first go that he that Patrick when he first made chocolate back in San Francisco, and he was you know kind of cutting his teeth kind of literally. It there was you know it was like okay this is there's something interesting in this end product, and this one's different from the last batch, 
but what what was the difference What's here? What's the variable? What happens? Yeah, so trying to kind of reverse engineer. So I guess learning step by step in each step so kind of taking a deep dive in each step and figuring out you know exactly what's going on here has been i think integral and just like the very simple uh, first step which is sourcing it sounds simple sourcing cocoa beans we have about 20 to 30 criteria that we go through some are ethical practices so they're not so much linked to the actual quality of the cocoa bean some are you know how do you assess that a cocoa bean has uh, you know the flavor that you want. If you don't pick that up early on, there's, there's not much you're gonna be able to do with the rest of the process. So we typically sample 10 to 15 different types of cocoa beans every three to four months. And we keep maybe one or two. Okay, uh, that's it, it's, And it, there's a lot of criteria that sometimes there's a few that we're interested in or we'll keep it for the future. But the season changes things. Different suppliers for the same type of cocoa bean can also whether it's been conditioned properly, whether it's been fire dry, things like that. There's, there's a lot of criteria. And of course, you know, there are criteria that are more interesting to us. You know, we're not gonna or we're not gonna purchase cocoa beans that are very difficult to sort, for instance, because they might taste great, but it's just the two of us. So if they're super complicated to sort, that might end up being either too much work or too expensive chocolate. And I suppose it might be hard for people to know, looking at the product from the outside, how labor-intensive it can be, and that has to factor in, obviously, to what yeah. you're concerned about the price yeah. of the products mm-hmm. and so forth. Well, what's interesting is, you know, again, like the kind of similarity with uh, specialty coffee is that if you compare, say, a, a pack of Lavazza uh, coffee, ground coffee or whole beans, it'll cost you, you know, four or five euros, something like that. Specialty coffee, like 250 gram, maybe 11 to... 14, 15 year old. Mm. Uh, so it's about a factor of three between you know the commodity coffee and the specialty coffee. It's very similar for chocolate. Mm. You, you're talking about you know for 100 gram, 250 to 350 for most chocolate that you buy in the store, like lint I think for, for is, is along those range. Uh, and for a specialty chocolate, you know a, a bar chocolate will generally cost around six to seven euro. So that's it. There's no secret, you know, it's it's the, the work where the cocoa beans or the coffee beans come from and the care that's that's uh, put in place to actually make them And tell me this, we just received a delivery of your very interesting and unique Easter eggs today. Perhaps you might want to describe them for people. It's kind of hard to say, but as well as those, what else might you have on the horizon and what else are you working on? Well, we're always, as Patrick said, we... we we're kind of constantly bringing in sample beans. And to be honest, we love doing these, these what we call nano batches because what we do is we end up bringing it to our Saturday market in Glasnevin and our regulars kind of get treated to sort of the... The, the fun, you know, tasting the different chocolates that we can, I mean, we can even... I suppose actually, that's a good testing ground then, I guess, as oh, well. Oh, really absolutely. Good, yeah. We did have one, one variety. What was it? El Salvador. Yeah, El Salvador. San Jose La was that the one, the weird one? The oh, the weird as in the the tomatoey one. Oh no, 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 that. that uh, there okay. was. It'll come back anyway. There was one variety that we'd made, and it was so funky that we were like, "Oh, should we even? This might even bother? be a bit too much. <laughs> should we even bother bringing this to the market on Saturday? It's too weird. It's too out there." And so I was. I, I do the market, and usually Patrick's upstairs from the market making the chocolate on Saturdays. And I was prefacing everyone like, "Guys, this is a weird chocolate. It's got notes of gazpacho, tomato, maybe a little bit of celery." Artichoke, it was weird. And people were clamoring for it. Like the following week, do you have any more of that tomato chocolate? <laughs> I was like, what? So, the, the flavor wheel of chocolate is like quite similar to what you have in coffee. The, mm. they're, they're, but it, it rarely ventures out in the vegetable area. <laughs> yeah, I can't say so that's come a bit across unusual. a tomato flavored coffee just yet. <laughs> right. it, it's it's <laughs> something that once in a while you get. And the cocoa bean was fine to sort, and I think it, it passed this, but from a flavor point of view, I was really unsure. Like, probably not really to my personal taste, mm-hmm. but we decided to still, like, put it to the test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very well received. It was it was out there, so, and people loved it. So, like, we can't even predict it, you know, and here we yeah. are two and a half years into doing this market, and we're still, like... It's, like, it's always super want. interesting. Like, it's sampling new, brand new types of cocoa beans. You can get, like... Uh, Big surprises, mm. good or bad. 
That's good though, I suppose, to still be finding something new at this stage. Oh, it's yeah. It's and actually, it's almost like the, the more you look, the more you find. You know? well, I guess, like you said, your concern being about whether people's palettes were ready for something different, it seems based on that feedback they definitely hear. Yeah, okay, yeah. So on the horizon, we have, um, we're going to be releasing in the next couple months a Mexican variety. Let's see, we've... I'm really excited about this one because there's uh, there's been a bit of... Um, rebirth of interest in Mexico to bring back some ancient varieties. So the Soconusco region of Mexico is the one of the historical uh, area where cocoa beans were cultivated for, cocoa trees were cultivated for the first time, you might say. Cocoa trees have existed for a long time, but they were transplanted from the Amazon basin to uh, uh, Soconusco, the best cocoa trees that uh, the Mayans and even the Olmecs actually uh, enjoyed but they kind of got lost along the way and Mexico developed interest in blander chocolate generally either unfermented or roasted or made into chocolate that was extremely sugary but there's been a rebirth of interest for those ancient varieties and there's a, a company that's decided to launch small micro lots around so uh, this this Soconusco region and so we, we got one of, one of those micro lots and they offer it at different levels of fermentation which is awesome because you, we tried it uh, and they're very different uh, so they're very small um, productions that are managed by uh, local tribes so like they're descendants of uh, some uh, Mesoamerican uh, tribes and so they, they make it in, in a, such a way that the, the, the flavor is very uh, clean the preparation mm-hmm. is impeccable mm-hmm. And they're, they're a type of cocoa bean that tends to go into the wider spectrum of color, which generally is a good sign because it also means less uh, bitterness and astringency, so you can push them quite high in percentage. And uh, so that's that's one that's coming. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Finca La Rioja Alvedo, uh, fermented six days. So that's the one that we're going to be releasing uh, the Easter eggs that we mentioned as well the Easter eggs so we've got three types of Easter eggs that you are carrying here at Tree Bark so we've got one well actually we're bringing back two from last year which were proved themselves quite popular we've got a 70% Tanzanian so single origin with Ackle Island sea salt and then we're doing a dark milk 58% dark milk with a salted blonde caramel chocolate and the milk caramel one has sort of Splotches. We've nicknamed it the giraffe egg. Pretty good name, actually. <laughs> the um, it's got other names, but I'll leave those aside. The and then the third one, the third variety, is an eighty-five percent two ingredients dark Dominican Republic. So two organic ingredients. So yeah, that um, definitely looks like the one I'm going to be tackling myself. I think you're a dark guy, are you? Yeah, very you much dark, so. Yeah, dark side. I like it. <laughs> it's also quite interesting. Like uh, as bean to bar makers, we can make. Uh, chocolate that are made with just two ingredients. It is more uh, unusual that people might think. A lot, a lot of time you, you'll have like extra cocoa butter or soy mm-hmm. You can't do that with every single variety of cocoa bean. Sometimes it works better or not. But for this particular one from the Dominican Republic, uh, 85% just flows very nicely. It mm-hmm. developed like a nice... Uh, and it gives you the chance to champion the bean, I guess, yeah. as you'd spoken about as well, which is good. And everybody yeah. who's tasted it is amazed that it is 85% yeah, because it surprise. doesn't taste yeah. bitter it's a dark chocolate that isn't uh, doesn't feel like it's 85 <laughs> on a similar dark note we also have so a little bit beyond Easter we're we're doing uh, barrel aged chocolates for the first time I believe in Ireland we haven't seen it done elsewhere in Ireland but maybe it has been done yeah. in someone's basement somewhere we did a first go at it and it was I'm really biased, but it was phenomenal. Um, yeah. Tastes like um, so basically, Teeling whiskey lent us a big old barrel, which we found remarkably fits like a glove in the back of a Volkswagen Jetta. So it's obviously meant to be. Exactly. We went up to Carlingford to the Cooley Distillery and picked up a barrel that was just used, so it was fresh. Mm. And teat mm. of whiskey, although it was still a bit left. Because he didn't ask them to leave it full of fear as well. Well, <laughs> the story says it was empty. <laughs> uh, and basically, we did a first test earlier this year by um, leaving some uh, nips in the, in the barrel and did a first batch. We also had to get it uh, 
tested specifically? Because every time you venture outside of the normal way of making production, you have to take it upon yourself to uh, make sure that it's safe to eat. Mm. So once we got the clear on that level, we uh, launched a bigger batch and it's currently being... Uh, Maturing age in the patience, and I'm not the most patient person and, um, personally. But um, we're also taking the opportunity to uh, give a bit of a tribute to an Irish man, as I mentioned earlier. Like there's uh, there's a couple of Irish people who have not really been recognized for the work they've done to the, the chocolate world. So this gentleman's name was John Hannon, and he is one of the first people to turn stone mills into a grinder for cocoa bean, which is still what we use today. So a pretty significant invention. Prior to that, you would need to essentially put cocoa nibs on a granite plate and grind it with a big Rollers stone made of, uh, yeah. or roller made of uh, granite. So the use of the mill with specific constraint actually helped mechanize that. Like I said, we still use this. I could imagine some people were very happy when he figured that one out. Mm. Yeah, he made uh, some. Uh, he made partner. somebody very rich. <laughs> uh, the oldest uh, chocolate company in America, Baker's Chocolate, which is still in existence, which made his owner, uh, Dr. Baker, a very rich man, mm. and uh, made uh, made himself famous. What happened to him, John Hannon, is is a bit of a mystery. Uh, some say. Uh, died on the route to the Dominican Republic where he was trying to source cocoa beans. Some say was uh, trying to leave his, uh, his wife, his wife yeah. who was uh, not a pleasant person. I returned to Ireland. If anybody has any information about him, John, would you be uh, <laughs> Problem being, I feel like there's quite a few John Hannans. Uh, yeah, he's a bit would of it be the easiest one to narrow John down? John Hannan. How many do you think there are? And uh, on, on that note of husbands and wives, I saw you guys had a nice feature in, was it the Irish Times or the Irish Independent there recently? We've, uh, recently. Maybe for Valentine's Day. That was the Times, I think. Sunday Times. Yes, yeah. Sunday, Sunday Times. Yeah, you can edit this, right? Yeah. <laughs> sure, I can. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, couples working together. Yes. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, that was lovely. That was the business remember, did Times. Did it come to our premises? Or we did over the phone. We did over the phone. Um, oh, and we did the, f- the photo. The photos, yeah, yeah, they came to the photos. I suppose I just I took a particular notice of it, having given the fact that both myself and Yvonne have worked together for uh, the bones of 10 years now. Wow. Yeah. That's, congratulations. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Yvonne doesn't listen to the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, we always found that you just have to have a good ability to have very strong separation indications of what constitutes work life and what constitutes personal life mm. and if there is something you you leave that at work or you settle before you go home yeah challenge I think it? what I find mm. also is that it's quite important to like it was important to me when we launched a business to get quite a significant part of creativity I felt like like my, my previous career so I was a project manager for about 15 years in IT I was learning you know less and less as, as, as you know makes sense you know you, you kind of rerun the same projects it's very important it was very important for me to just to keep some creativity I think it's important for Kelly as well mm. so I'm generally more involved in the creative part of the chocolate making the design the brand photos mm. all the creativity around the, the proper chocolate brand is, is Kelly's department and I think having that is quite important Seems like a strong partnership in fairness. Yeah, no, it, it, it does work out. It also helps that Patrick's colorblind. So, like, if it's, you know, kind of coming right. down to... Black and white. <laughs> Black and white can't go wrong, guys. <laughs> no, I, I... It's only a mild colorblindness. I don't... I don't... Maybe sometimes I try to influence the, the design, probably, hopefully. But um, I'm generally more concerned around the practicality of packaging and things like that because there's only the two of us, so every little piece of work that we add to the chain is is, uh, is uh, quite significant so mm. you know we changed packaging uh, last year because it looked better but also because it made it easier on us that's yeah. it so yeah you know finding the balance between you know something that looks good and something that's cost effective yeah. especially in Ireland it's a huge challenge working for yourself in Ireland can be somewhat difficult working for yourself and, and working together um, but yeah it is it's um, well it definitely sounds though like it's a business that like neither of you would be able to run individually as such 
Mm. Whereas, like the the strength of it comes from the way that you work together and rely mm. on each other. Mm. I don't think you can mm. do that by yourself in, in a way. But there's so many areas. Mm. There is no way you can be uh, good at everything. And well, at the same time, you know, like I don't think there would be anybody else who could do what you do, like from a design point of view, from uh, just like customer care as well. Right be rubbish at it. <laughs> like, and I don't know anybody who would be nearly as good. So. Well, but I also, I also think, and I don't know if, you, if you've seen this in your own business here, it's the, our business is actually, yes, it's just the two of us, but it actually, it kind of, it spans broader than that. Mm. Um, we have what I've always called sort of our angels who, mm. you know, people who whisper in our ears, this is the way it's done, you know, yeah. um, or I think this isn't enough, you know, you're not charging enough for this, you know, or these people who've just kind of come and, and they just give us little nudges, you know, a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. Um, I've always found that that's the one good aspect about working for yourself in Ireland is that other self-employed and entrepreneurs are actually quite supportive and helpful and willing mm. to, you know, give you that little bit of advice or help along the way that yeah. you're not going to get anywhere else. No, it, it is quite exactly. interesting also, there's a... Mm. Uh, we have been picky about who we we sell our chocolate to. I met the caution. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, no, but it's like we, we talked about it earlier. Like, if if you're gonna end up being like a bar of chocolate among you know a sea of other chocolate bars without any description, with the person not doing anything about your chocolate, then that's just wrong. You know, you we make our chocolate from bean to bar. It it should be treated. Well, I think you invest so heavily both time and personally and every aspect of yourself into making it you kind of want to feel that's respected and mm. paid forward mm. I feel that we have a good relationship with Dan and Zara from Calendar Coffee here because mm. people often comment with me and they go like oh that's a lovely coffee it's really nice I'm like well I wouldn't be able to make a nice coffee out of it if I wasn't being given good beans right mm. you know right. I mean okay yeah I know how to make a good coffee but if I don't have good beans nothing's getting made right that's, right. that's for sure yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's so like we've had we've had like a couple of really uh, really cool uh, retailers yeah. uh, helping us out from the early stage. Yeah, who've just been like uh, really early champions, just helping us along the way. I mean, really couldn't ask for, couldn't be more grateful. Really, especially navigating a world that we didn't know anything about. You know, you, you know, there's so much to learn. Like just the, the food part, mm. which includes, you know, health and safety, things like that. That's already All quite the a bit stuff, yeah. But just uh, the wild jungle that uh, retail is, mm. is uh, you know, like talk about, you know, margins, things like that. Mm. There's no real, you can't really find guidelines on that. Mm. And even though early on we, we did engage with the local enterprise office in Dublin and they assigned us a mentor, which was very useful. We had such a niche product that you know what kind of margin do you give to your retailers mm. but those are questions you know you yeah. you got to find answers because yeah. they that's that's obviously a big interest for it's also being willing to put a realistic value on your own time mm-hmm. which is often the hardest thing I yes i tend to be like actually explain like i've got my excel worksheets and i try to time what we do and try to put a number to it but it's a model yeah. <laughs> the reality is is uh Sometimes, like when you're a small company, you have to be very adaptable yeah. mm. uh, and uh, be able to do uh, special products, yeah. which happy to. <laughs> well, guys, that was very enjoyable. I have to say, I feel like wow. I learned a lot. Um, I think we'll take a moment for everyone to learn a bit more about where they can find your products and where they can find you guys online and so forth. If you want to let us know, yeah, absolutely. So our website is properchocolatecompany.com. It's also beantobar.ie. There's our list of stockists there, which include yourself, uh, Tree Bark, Tree Bark Cafe, Tree Bark Store, Store. Yeah. You're more in the cafe, obviously. Yeah. I left it nice and vague so I can do whatever I want with it. Nice. Yeah. So there might be a Easter egg left. If I don't eat them all, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, we yeah we have um, we don't have a whole lot of retailers. I think about twenty nationwide. Mm-hmm. Galway. Uh, there's Mayo. Castle Bar. Mm. Uh, Rue Cafe in Castle Bar you mentioned earlier. Rue Cafe, yeah. Uh, Cinnamon Cottage in Cork. Cinnamon Cottage in Cork, yeah. And uh, a few in Dublin. 
Watson quote, Hopsag, and it's those like the, the whole list is on the website. Yeah, mm. and they can find you guys at the market. At the market, yeah. If you want, yeah, if you want to actually meet us, we'd love that because yeah. we love meeting our people. Uh, yeah, it's uh, every Saturday in Glasnevin in the Dublin beautiful Dublin Industrial Estate. It's not beautiful at all, but the market <laughs> itself is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's I'm. It's like even if we weren't doing the market, I would I would go there as a. It's just it's it's just a very vibrant market, real sense of community, wonderful products, and great chocolate too. Yeah, <laughs> we do events from time to time. Also, mm. probably going to resume the workshops once uh, East, once we're past Easter, mm. yeah. and uh, a couple of summer markets. We're going to be doing the, yeah, Sheridan's, the Sheridan's Festival. Uh, festival. Oh yes, I saw that online actually recently. Yeah, yeah. That looks very interesting. Oh. It's it a wonderful really day out. Good. Yeah, really good for families. You want to bring yeah. the little ones. A um, couple of uh, whiskey and chocolate pairing, wine and chocolate pairing events coming in the future mm-hmm. yeah. as well. And uh, Have you done any coffee and chocolate pairings yet? And not events, but that It was part of one of our events. Uh, yeah. But we, we had a chocolate, and chocolate pairing evening where we had a natural coffee from uh, Ethiopia that was supplied by Coffee Angel. Yeah. So it was... It was Quite, quite nice actually people uh, left and were like where can we buy this coffee mm. <laughs> so good yeah. and then for those of us who are lazy and just like to go online we can find you I suppose on Instagram and Facebook yes, as well yes absolutely so we're um, I'm addicted to Instagram so yeah Instagram is um, we, we have spoken a lot on Instagram we have basically um, our relationship has been very Instagram centric <laughs> so yeah at uh, proper chocolate for Instagram and Facebook for Twitter it's at proper underscore chalk Great. I'll put some links in the show notes anyway so everyone can find you guys online. Magic. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So guys, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Thank uh, thanks to everyone for listening. That was the latest episode of Creative Voices and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening to Creative Voices. This podcast is sponsored by Treebark Store and produced by Peter B. Photography. For more information, find us on Instagram, treebark.store or at p3b underscore photos. You can visit our website, treebarkstore.com or p3bphotography.com. Thanks again and catch you on the next episode.